Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Evan Mendelson, the co-founder of Tipsy Elves. Tipsy Elves is an e-commerce company that makes and sells fun clothing and outfits for every holiday. Their mission, which I think is pretty cool, is to create outrageous clothing for the extrovert and everyone. We transform the moments that matter into experiences you'll remember forever. Hey, Evan, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I know it's been a bit of a, a while here. And take me back to 2011 or even before. So I know you've probably answered this question a million times, but what was the genesis for creating Tipsy Elves? Yeah, it really started. I'd say the seeds for it uh, were planted in college. Uh, Nick and I, Nick's the other co-founder of the company, we were uh, roommates in college and we were always attending different theme parties and events. Um, we were in a fraternity, but even outside of fraternity events, we were just going to like kind of any theme party we could find. Um, and we just really enjoyed the experience of dressing up and wearing fun outfits for different events. We It, it made the night more memorable for us. It was a conversation starter. It, uh, you know, kind of led to fun, random experiences. And um, so I think that, I think I always remembered the way that that, that it made me feel uh, wearing fun and kind of outrageous clothes for different events and carried that through um, graduate school. And um, so, and then in 2011, I uh, had some experience with SEO as a, as a marketing channel and kind of combined the, uh, my enjoyment for dressing up with my knowledge of SEO and the fact that at the time there was this big emergence of uh, ugly Christmas sweater parties and decided to create a company with Nick's help um, with the goal of uh, at first starting off by, by creating Christmas sweaters uh, as our kind of first foot, our first toe in the water. Um, and then with the long-term goal of eventually expanding and, and becoming a, a company that serves uh, all holidays throughout the year. Interesting. And, and one thing that really is fascinating about your story is I know you're working for, I believe it's called Shepard Mullen, a very large, prominent law firm at the time as a JD MBA from USC. And just that you jumped out and you took something that was really safe and to do something that is potentially risky, obviously has worked out really well. Can you take me through that experience? Like, what was that like in terms of making that transition, making that big leap? Yeah, I'd say, um, there's a few factors. So I think for one, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors have always been really fascinating to me and kind of hard to hard to not pursue, you know? And I think um, I, whether I was, even if I was still working at Shepherd today, I would always be trying little entrepreneurial side hustles. I mean, even with 
tipsy elves uh, being super time consuming. I do some property investment in some kind of like local Airbnb stuff here in San Diego on the side because it, it just feels like a great opportunity. I know how to do it. I have the opportunity presents itself and I can't help myself from like, you know, potentially buying another property or, you know, it's, I, I find myself kind of um, wanting to pursue these entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, so I think there was a big push aspect there. Uh, I, even before working at Shepherd, I started creating these um, informational websites where that I would monetize with Google AdSense. And I had a simple little site called dayfinder.com and it basically would tell you the dates of upcoming holidays uh, because those get really high search. So, you know, someone will search Mother's Day 2021 or Easter 2021 or, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah, like whether it's religious or, or um, other holidays throughout the year. And at the time, Google would not pre-populate those at the top of the of the site, they would, um, sites, they'd actually, you know, serve website results for those terms. And so I created a site before starting a shepherd kind of in between law school. I had a, and, and when I started shepherd, I created that site and it started doing really well. Um, at least I thought by my standards, it was, I was like very happy with it. It was, you know, the few day it, it was making a couple thousand bucks a month, uh, on ad, ad, ad revenue. So that, that was what started giving me confidence that, I at least, you know, knew enough about SEO to, to pursue other concepts that maybe would use that as the primary marketing channel. Um, and then obviously had the knowledge about dressing up and the ability to see that A, I enjoyed it. B, there was this emergence of ugly Christmas sweater parties. I was able to see that there was a lot of search demand for the term ugly Christmas sweaters. And then on top of that, I didn't, I, I knew pretty immediately that I was not passionate about working in, in law. Um, from the first few weeks at the firm, I could already start feeling that it wasn't what I was passionate about. What I was passionate about was when I, when I got home at night working on Dayfinder or doing SEO research and thinking of other business ideas. So I think it's, for me, it was the, it was a mix of all these factors that um, made starting tipsy elves and made and eventually quitting easier. I think it was, um, having proven to myself that it would, it, it had worked before I waited till tipsy elves got to a point financially where I knew I could quit my job and still pay myself, um, enough to live on and kind of use that combined with the AdSense revenue for my other stuff to kind of survive. Like, yes, it was like a one, uh, it was basically a, 70% pay cut of what I was making, but I knew I would at least be able to like pay my bills. Um, and then I think it was my, my love for doing this stuff. I kind of, I kind of was starting to grow in my own, my confidence to, to maybe be able to make a living out of this stuff because of Dayfinder having a good first year of tipsy elves. Um, I was feeling like, yes, there's a risk in quitting, but I'm proving to myself that it's working and I, I'm okay kind of betting on myself to, to, to grow the business from here and, and not regret the decision of quitting my job. So it's a long answer, but it, I, I have been asked that before. And I think it's a, uh, it's a hard, it's kind of hard to answer sometimes. Uh, Cause it, I think at first 
you first hear, and it kind of sounds like this massive leap of faith. And there was a leap of faith, but I felt like it. W- I, I tried to test test it first to to reduce the financial risk that I was taking. So I, I didn't I didn't feel like I was you know betting my entire career and education on on the a website that sells, you know, humping reindeer sweaters or, or whatever <laughs> it was at the time. So in the run up to making that decision to really just to cut the cord and go to tip sales full time, so many of us have just thoughts in our heads, you know, they're churning in the middle of the night. Just what do you do to, to tune out those voices if you even had those voices? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think those voices will go down if you've proven whatever it is that you're thinking of quitting for. So if you start seeing some, you're bringing in some revenue or you're seeing some early signs of success, I mean, hopefully that'll prove to prove to you that, you know, you've, you're onto something. Um, I would have those voices too. If, if I was thinking about quitting before, like the, you know, the first year that we launched tipsy elves, rather than giving it a year to, to sort of build and prove that it was successful or that it could be successful. Um, I think other than that, I mean, I have seen, I have friends who are just naturally very risk adverse people. And even when they've launched side ventures and they've, to me, they seem to be successful enough that I would quit. Um, they just seem to not sort of be able to tolerate that risk. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't really know the answer for those people. I do think, it, you know, it, there is going to be a, a sense of a leap of faith. And I tend to think those people, their risk aversion outweighs their desire to be self-employed or to, to pursue a venture. So I think sometimes it just boils down to what's more important to you. Um, I think some people, it's, they would rather take the safe and secure. They, maybe they'd Maybe they would be mad at themselves for doing it or or kind of have regrets down down the line, but they're just the types of people that that need security in their lives. And you know, I think that's that's okay to own that if if someone's like that. Yeah, I definitely know a lot of people who are like that. They just want that tried and true, more secure route. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in the Shepherd Mullen offices and the meeting with partners and telling them <laughs> what you were gonna go do. What was that like in terms of telling your colleagues, also your family that, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to bail on this, this law job to go sell ugly Christmas sweaters. Yeah. The, I kind of didn't want to be talked out of it. Um, and I sort of had my mind made up. So I, I strategically waited till after I had basically put in my, my, uh, termination notice before I told my parents, cause they're the, they're very much the, the risk adverse type. Um, so I knew that they would have thought it was crazy and worried a ton about if I was making the right decision. And then I wrote an email to my mentoring partner to kind of break the ice because I knew it was so out of left field. I mean, I, it was like very much a, a nighttime and weekend project of mine and it was very different than law. So not many people at the law firm we're aware that I had this other hobby and, you know, interest of mine. Um, and I also, you know, if, if it didn't work out, I didn't want them to, you know, question my interest in law. Like I was, I was building my career there, but I, but I also had this hobby at night that, you know, excited me. So I, um, I wrote an email to my mentoring partner first to just kind of like let him know, kind of 
bring them up to speed on the, at least the early success of the business. I, I wanted them to like, just like I wanted my parents approval. I kind of wanted the approval of the people I respected at the firm too. I, to know that it was a smart decision. I didn't want to leave and have everyone sort of think like Evan's crazy. Like, why would you, why would he do this? So I, I wanted to kind of like, I mean, I read the email sort of spelled out my reasons, why it, it seemed it was successful so far and why I believed in it. And, you know, um, and then I had the conversation with him, I think the next day, um, after he was a little more familiar with what was going on. And then kind of the word got around the firm, started chatting with different people in the, like different offices. Everyone was, was really supportive. And like, I'll always remember how, um, how supported I felt with the decision at the firm. Like the, the Shepherd Mullins are really good, good firm with great people. And I think at the end of the day, they want whoever works there to be happy. Um, even if it might not be in the best interest of the firm, they, you know, they, they truly support their people. So I felt like they, they responded really well and, and made the process easier for, for me. And my parents, I think were, were pretty shocked. Uh, but once again, I think they kind of worried, but knew I wasn't passionate about law. And I think as much as they would have preferred, I think at some points they, sometimes they still prefer, I, I, I was a lawyer. Uh, they, they, uh, I, they wanted me to be happy. You know, I think that they knew I, I wasn't really excited about the prospects of staying at the firm long-term. So. That's great to be supported though. It's funny is during the process of writing my book, I actually didn't tell very many people. So actually when I did publish it, I got some pretty funny emails and texts and because a lot of times you go, yeah, I'm going to write a book. You can just see them go, yeah, yeah, buddy, you're going to be an author. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, it's like telling someone you're an actor outside of LA where no one takes you seriously. So. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's better to just kind of do it and do it in, on your own, and then announce it once it's once the decision's been been made. So, exactly. So switching gears a little bit. So I, I see fun. You know the word fun. I see just on your Instagram feed in terms of pictures and just the way you describe the business on the site. So how have you gone about building a company that's really based around a platform of having fun? I think um, I think for one. Our products, I mean, yes, there's intentional design around making fun products, but just the nature of being a company that makes sort of outrageous and humorous products for every collection, there's already fun just embedded into our culture just from the products that we make and customers' natural reactions to them. So I think absent anything else, if we were just a product design company making humorous gear that had a tag on social media we'd still have like a certain level of fun about us because, you know, customers have a great time when they wear our products and it creates these really amazing, memorable experiences when you wear a Tipsy Elves product. Um, but we do do more intentional things on top of that, I think, to create a fun culture here at the work. Like, obviously now during the pandemic, uh, it's a different story. But when we are in the office, we, we try to create a fun work atmosphere um, it's one of our values. It's at the top of the list because um, it's it's so important to us. So even you know in our manage managerial relationships you have we have with our direct reports, we try to keep we try to keep the the managerial process fun. Like we try to embed it in 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 everything we do. Um, and we obviously you know even down to the photo shoots with with models, like making sure they're you know. If, we try to use a lot of authentic photos, like user-generated content. But if we are doing a lifestyle photo, just even trying to bring out like natural fun moments in the shoot 
and trying to make it read as authentic as possible, as opposed to like forcing some actors to smile who, who don't really have a reason to, um, even, even those, like, even kind of creating authentic fun moments in our photo shoots. Like it's, it's definitely something we put a lot of thought into. So. And obviously you've had a, just a tremendous amount of growth since you started in 2011. How have you maintained that sense of fun? I mean, obviously you, you gave great examples of the photo shoot and just interactions with your team, but what else have you done as you've grown and added headcount and grown in complexity, expanded into new categories? Like what's up, what's that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think we, we still try to, you know, even, even as things get busier or as the business, uh, grows we we still try to maintain fun at the top of the list i think things that could potentially um moments that can be difficult to maintain that perspective and optimism in, in the fun atmosphere are you know making layoffs which we've had to do um last year and in, in continuing through now with covid and the pandemic um the blm protests uh you know, some of the political stuff we've had to see with capital riots, like there's a lot of serious, uh, you know, negative things happening. Uh, and we're very much aware that not only our employees, but our customers are dealing with a lot right now. So I think when it comes to those moments, we, we try to keep it real. Um, we don't try to act like the world's fun when we know bad things are happening. Um, so I'd say it's more in those moments we try to we try to stay authentic and real and optimistic. It's sort of like how we how we navigate the hard times and then, you know, outside of those moments we try to keep things fun generally and we also recognize that um people need some like some levity and and humor even in hard times. So we also do give ourselves the permission to still be a source of humor, fun, optimism even when we know people are going through hard times. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's always a, there's always a role for comedy and, and humor and laughter, even in kind of darker times. So. Yeah. It's always helpful to have an outlet. I've definitely enjoyed the tipsy elves emails that I get. So it's always good for a good laugh or a smile. Yeah. Good to hear. <laughs> Glad you like them. So what have you learned about yourself, about the organization as you've gone through a, a challenging year with the pandemic and so forth? I've been really impressed with our team and just the ability for everyone to kind of stay nimble and flexible. Um, we've had to, at one, in the first few months of the pandemic, we got really worried because our sales took a big nosedive and um, we put the team on sort of like a half hours, half payroll situation, which obviously was not um enjoyable for them uh and we were genuinely worried about the business I and mean, we had we were sort of like looking at things in terms of how long can we go with our current expenses and minimal sales before we run out of money and knowing that what can we do to cut our costs even further to extend that ramp and give ourselves an extra month or two so i mean we were we were looking at things in a pretty dire mentality um just to make sure that we were prepared for the worst. Um, but I think our team, A, they were, they worked with us to, you know, they made, they allowed for the, for, they were, they were okay with, with these changes. They obviously didn't love it, but they, they, we worked together to kind of get through. Um, 
from a marketing angle, everyone did a great job sort of pivoting and kind of taking the products that we did have that were relevant and really putting those at the forefront. So for example, like loungewear was really popular last year. So onesies, pajamas, even taking our sweaters, which are, have traditionally been worn more in a party atmosphere and being able to market those and take photos of them being worn in more of like a home setting, more of a more of a loungewear setting. Um, so we definitely pivoted a lot as a company. Everyone was very quick to, to act. We, we pulled off a lot of kind of like last minute fun things for our customers. We did a, we started doing these recurring virtual bingo nights where um, Nick and I would host and um, we'd give away prizes. And it was very much like a team effort getting everyone involved to, to make sure that those nights went smoothly. So, um, so yeah, I'd say, I'd say more than anything, just very, uh, very proud of the team and kind of everyone's ability to navigate a tough year and and you know we're not through it yet but for the most part being able to come out on the other end and what about in terms of carrying that forward like what are you going to carry with you from this experience both as an individual but as an organization yeah i think just you know um kind of going back to our core of of you know keeping keeping things fun but also i think it I think we'll always remember that tough things can happen. I mean, that was a COVID was a big eye opener. Like you can, you can have the rug pulled out from under you at any time for, you know, any number of reasons. This one was a pandemic. Maybe the next one could be a war, could be civil war. I mean, who knows? There's weird, weird stuff can happen. So um, I think just being continuing to be a source of fun, but always, always with the mindset that stuff can happen and, and making sure we're prepared. And, um, and uh, if anything, that's even more reason to celebrate when that stuff isn't happening because it's, you know, that means our team and the rest of the world can uh, more naturally enjoy their lives without having, you know, all these significant sources of stress and things to worry about. So. Yeah. I know that the two words I focused on the last year have been, being flexible and being adaptable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's, those were very much present in, uh, at the company last year. What about in terms of, I've noticed other com competitors have come in your space. I know at the beginning you had some, there's some greenfield there. How have you adapted in terms of just your own style, leadership, just the organization, just, um, in terms of how you manage to stay ahead? Yeah, I think our philosophy has been to very much be aware of the competitors. I mean, I think, you know, we could, you could ask probably a number of people at our company and they could give you a quick list of who we think our biggest competitors are. Um, but I think that said, we try not to, beyond being aware of them, we try not to like let their existence dictate or um, change the way that we operate. So I think we stick to our guns of, you know, from a product design standpoint, from product innovation, from always challenging ourselves to be sort of a, a front runner in creating new categories and new products, um, trying to be the most clever designs, the, the most visually aesthetic designs, um, and, and then trying to build an authentic brand that's that's who we are without really thinking about how to shape our brand because of the existence of someone else. So I think I think we really try to just keep 
going and not paying too much attention, but also being aware of, of, of them because it can be helpful to know, um, you know, who's kind of on your heels or, or, uh, you know, if there's a product that a bunch of people are jumping on board, it, it can kind of, you know, it can, it can be good knowledge to have. So. Yeah. Being aware, but not being obsessed. Yeah, exactly. So something that I tend to do, especially as I've gotten older, is just reflecting on what I've learned about myself from the past. Like, what have you learned about yourself during this whole process of, of taking Tipsy Elves as a evenings and weekends business to this thriving business that's in multiple product categories? Like, what have you really learned about yourself during that journey? It's a good question. Um... I mean, I think comparing now to, to the very early days, just that, you know, I guess there's a sense of pride that we've taken the business to where it is today. I, I definitely didn't think that, you know, back in 2011, that it would be, a, you know, a, the size of the business that it is today and that it, we'd have the success that we've had. I think if you asked me back then and said, you guys will be a $5 million a year business, uh, I would be like, even that would have shocked me, you know, and we've, we've far exceeded that. So I think like my expectations back then were very small, like, you know, make, do a little bit more in revenue than I'm making at my law job and, and kind of have it, you know, and maybe supplement it with a few other businesses. And I'd be really pumped about that. So I think definitely, um, the mental that idea of that you know i'm capable that nick nick's capable our team's capable i think uh there's a sense of pride that comes from that and just um you know and 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 now just wanting wanting kind of like more out of the business and wanting to keep going i so i think that also shows that we're kind of ambitious and we kind of uh like to think big we don't really like to sort of settle and um and get complacent. Um, trying to think beyond that. Uh, yeah, those are probably the two of the two of the things that just kind of come to mind. I'm sure I, I could think of others, with, but nothing else is jumping out at me right now. Yeah. So based on that experience, what would be your advice to either your younger self or aspiring entrepreneurs or leaders? I think just having confidence, like I would test if, if someone's looking to do something entrepreneurial or, or get out of their job, I would first test it and make sure it's a viable concept. Mm -hmm. And then I would believe once you've tested it, that it should work. It's already proven itself. So believe in yourself to just go for it. Um, I think I, I think I felt, I used to think that I needed a certain skill set or educational background in order to um, start a business. And I, I kind of just quickly disproved that once I, after I got my MBA, cause I realized that an MBA didn't prepare me. Like it prepared me like 0% for starting tipsy elves. Like it, I don't think there was like anything I learned in the JD or the MBA that prepared me for tipsy elves. It was all like SEO was the first skill set, And then everything else beyond that was learning as we, as we went, I mean, from sourcing product to distribution centers, to, um, shipping and logistics, to hiring and training and 
leading teams. I mean, it's, it's all been learned on the job and none of it was, was trained. So I think that was like a big misconception that I sort of had to like disprove to myself through the process of getting an MBA and then, re and then realizing I still didn't know what I needed to, to start a business. So I think getting any of those preconceived notions that like you don't have what it takes, I think, uh, would be good to get rid of those. Um, and just know you got to figure it out when you, as you go, it's, it really comes down to work ethic, um, how much you want it and making good connections. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's been single conversations we've had that have leaped us forward by years in terms of allowing us to avoid mistakes or, you know, one person recommends a, a warehouse they use and it's a really good 3PL logistic company. And had we known that three years prior, maybe that would have avoided us from having three years in a row of really crappy logistics where we moved fulfillment companies every year. So like continuing to network, learn, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think those, yeah, those are kind of the, the, the main, the main things that I would sort of have told myself back in 2011. Yeah, it makes me think about years ago, I made a decision just to stop worrying about what my resume said and focus on what I could actually do and what were my experiences. Just yeah. so much more powerful that way. Yeah, absolutely. For this kind of stuff, anything entrepreneurial, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, absolutely. So how do you stay sharp? So how do you continue to grow and learn? And you've now reached the top of your first hill per se, but how do you continue to grow and get better? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying, I try to say it definitely gets it's a lot busier now. So like my days are more filled with meetings. Um, we don't have a huge team, but we're about 25 people and we have a fairly flat organizational structure. So like I manage seven people directly. Um, so it is a lot of administrative time spent, you know, managing. And, um, but I do try to leave a good chunk of time to float higher, or at least I, I, that's one of my intentions is to spend time reading, um, learning, uh, networking with other e-commerce owners, you know, reading forums, listening to podcasts, like just trying to make sure that we're staying cutting edge, especially when it comes to marketing. Um, the, the marketing landscape for e-com companies is changing so quickly and um, just trying to stay abreast of, of all the changes. Um, so yeah, just really, really just trying to like continue to educate myself. Uh, I try to, you know, do try to read some books here and there, but I'd say I, I tend to focus more on e-commerce specific knowledge that is actual practical, practical takeaways that, that we can use right away for our business. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Lifelong learning is such a big thing. I, I know I have learning goals for myself. I work with clients to set goals that are specifically oriented around learning. Yeah. And it's really helpful. Yeah. It's, you have to, I mean, Nick and I sometimes talk about the concept of, you know, maybe post COVID, even just him and I almost having a retreat for three or four days where we just do nothing. We turn off our Slack and we just like brainstorm because some of our best ideas come when him and I are able to decompress from the day to day and actually just free up some, some like white space to just brainstorm and think big, big picture about the company. Yeah. Turning out all those distractions is so helpful. I know for me, I use the early morning hours. So that's how I finished the book was 5am on, on midweek weekends, vacations, just, just helpful to get some of that just clarity of thought. Yeah, absolutely.
One more piece of advice. So what's your advice to other people who feel torn between what they feel they should do and what they feel called to do? That's tough. I guess there's so many nuances. I mean, my, my gut tells me to go for what you feel called to do, but if what you feel called to do is, you know, quit your job on a whim and put your family and you've got three kids and everyone's depending on you for financial support and you feel like what you should do is keep your day job and be a source of financial security for your family, then I'd, I'd argue maybe you should stick with what you should do. <laughs> so it's kind of nuanced, I guess. Um, I mean, I do think everyone should seek to to do what they're called to do, but to do it in a way that um, sort of minimizes downside risk and um, doesn't create like a, a wake of terror because of, you know, they go just follow their heart on a whim. So I don't know, I guess that would be sort of my, my, my advice. No, helpful advice for sure. So looking forward, I, I've been crazy to watch the growth of tipsy elves expand in all these new categories. Like what does that future look like for tipsy elves? Yeah, I think um, we, every year the, the, as the brand sort of solidifies and we kind of become more and more known as just an all around fun apparel company that sort of spans every holiday, um, every month of the year, it sort of kind of new product ideas keep kind of popping up. So, you know, we have, we sell a, a ski apparel collection and our ski suits are really popular. So all of a sudden you start thinking about other sports that we could offer product to. So I, we have a golf collection that we're launching this year. Um, bachelor bachelorette products that we're launching a Valentine's collection for the first time, uh, in the next few days. So I think as we become more and more year round and, and more, uh, more known for that, just continuing to expand, um, our product offerings, there's also a lot of opportunity to, uh, explore hard goods instead of just clothing. So, you know, giftables, if you're talking Christmas, for example, um, if we're already kind of the go-to place for all fun holiday themed clothing, why not also be the go-to place for home decor, for fun uh, decorations, for, you know, humorous ornaments, car gift cards. You know, there's so many, there's so many things you can do when you have a brand that's synonymous with fun and, and, um, and, and, and a lot of the stuff we do can kind of cross over into other areas. So I think continuing to really expand our product offering and um, and really solidify the brand and uh, yeah, just kind of expand, but we want to be really mindful about the direction we take. So we're doing a lot of road mapping exercises right now as a company and making sure we don't bite off more than we can chew. Um, kind of feels like there's a hundred different directions we can run right now. And we we know that that's not good to run in all 100 directions. So really trying to figure out, okay, here are the four or five main priorities and and opportunities for the year. Let's do them really, really well. And then, you know, focus on the other stuff later. So it's kind of where our heads are at right now. Yeah, I can definitely speak to the the ski suits. My wife wore it for her 40th birthday. It was a huge hit and on the slopes over the holidays. So people love the ski suits. So really cool, fun products. Cool. Yeah. Glad, uh, glad you guys liked it. Yeah. They're, 
they're fun. It's like, uh, they're definitely, a, um, they're definitely like, uh, we, we have a partnership with Johnny Mosley. He's a, he's a, a gold medal skier from, from the 98 Olympics. And, uh, he calls them the day maker. Cause it's like, they not only make your day, but they make the day of anyone who sees you wearing them. And they're like, they're such a conversation starter. So I'm glad, uh, glad your wife enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. She loved it for sure. So where can people who maybe don't have any sweaters from you or ski suits or any products, where can they go to learn and find out more about Tipsy Elves? Yeah, we primarily everything we sell is through our website. Um, so they can go to tipsyelves.com and kind of navigate the site. And things are pretty much sorted by collection. So we refer to collections being the different holidays or thematic um, groupings of clothing that of, of clothes that we sell. So you know, St. Patrick's Day, Fourth of July, Valentine's, ski, all that. So yeah, I just say uh, go to our site, check out the gear. Um, hopefully, find something that makes you laugh and makes you want to want to want to you know rock it. Awesome, and I'll give your Instagram feed a good shout out too. So Tipsy Elves is good for a good laugh or at least a smile. Yeah, awesome. That sounds good. Hey, well, Evan, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Darren. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks, and see you all in the next episode.